Okay, take your Bibles with me this morning and turn back to Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2. We had finished up uh, down through verse 10 last Sunday. And we basically begin a new section here in verse 11. Even though it's a continuation of a letter, you can really look at it. And we'll see it this morning as we begin to look at these verses. Uh, there's a new division. He, he uh, from talking individually, he begins to talk and make a distinction and show how God deals with his church, not just the, the Gentiles, these believing Gentiles, but his church collectively, both Jew and Gentile. I always think of it like this. Our Lord Jesus Christ, in his uh, parable of the shepherd and the sheep in John chapter 10, he said this, Other sheep I have which are not of this foe, talking about national Israel, them also I must bring, and there will be one shepherd, and there will be one foe. Now we've got to get this in our mind. There's always been just one group of individuals that God purposed and planned to save. It's his church. It's his elect. It's his bride. They referred to his sheep, wheat, us, we. <laughs> yeah. they're, even, they're even included in that word, word that the world has so much trouble interpreted in light of the scriptures, the world. For God so loved the world. And that, that world is not all men and women without exception. And people say, well, no, 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 God loves everybody. Context, every, every word, particularly words like world, every, all, they have qualifiers. They always do. You have to look at them in the context. You've got to look at who's being spoken to. When our Lord used that, that verse in John 3, 16, when he was talking about for God so loved the world, who was he talking to? He was talking to a Jew, a Pharisee, a man that thought he was a leader and scholar in national Israel, his direction to be to guide and direct God's people to God, to Jehovah. How did the scribes and Pharisees, Nicodemus himself included, how did they seek to lead men and women to God? What was, their, what was their motivating purpose? What did they use? The law. And as a Jew, the Jews, and even to this day they're that way, the Jew was convinced that the Jew was going to heaven by virtue of the fact that they were what? They were Jews. And they looked at the Gentiles as what? Just so much pine straw and rubble that God was ultimately going to destroy. And so he looks at Nicodemus and he said to Nicodemus, for God so loved the world. And uh, uh, as much as the, the, you must be born again twice flabbergasted him, that blew his mind, Kenny. That, uh, to be honest, the unregenerate mind, that outraged him as a Jew. He thought, no, 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 no. God loves the Jew. No, God loves the world. Not all men and women without exception, but his people, his elect, those that he chose in Christ Jesus before the foundation of the world from every kindred, nation, tongue, and people. You said no world means world. Well, answer me this question. If world means all without exception, 
Because that's what most people think. That's what they've been taught, been taught wrongly. Explain this one verse to me. And we know that we are of God. Now, who's the we there that he's talking about? We are of God. Who's that? That's all those that have been brought to true faith and true repentance. All God's elect that rest in Christ by the power of God, the Holy Spirit, and regeneration conversion under the preaching of the gospel. We are of God. We're born of God. We belong to God. We're his by election. We're his by redeeming love. We're his by regenerating and converting grace through the power of the Holy Spirit. We are of God. Now, listen to this. And the whole world, the whole world lieth in wickedness. Well, now, hold on. How can we be of God and at the same time, the whole world, the whole world would mean, if we go by their interpretation, what does the whole world mean? It means every single solitary person without exception. We're of God. We're not of the world. Another one that you might want to try to deal with is this. Those Jews that stood before, uh, you know, that, that had saw Peter and, and them as they preached the gospel, they said this, that the whole world has gone after him. The whole world's gone after him. They weren't after him. Were they? So it's qualified. They meant everybody but us. That's who's in that whole world. So John 3.16 is not talked about that God sent his son into this world. We're going to deal with this somewhat in the worship hour this morning. God didn't send his son into this world in order to show us his love in hope that somehow or another we'll come to him and accept him as his personal, our personal Lord and Savior. The fact that God loved us before time moved him to send his son into this world to redeem us and save us and justify us in a way that glorifies and honors him is both a just God and a Savior. So, you know, th th this thing that, that we're looking at and we're thinking about in th this section of Scripture, it's to show to these, these Gentile believers who are indeed converted, who have been by God's grace brought to believe the gospel, that... They, in previous time, before regeneration conversion, what were they? They were in a precarious situation. Now, they were. In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1 through 10, that we looked at for the last several weeks, three lessons, in, in fact, God the Holy Spirit by the Apostle Paul, he defined for us and he magnified the riches of God's grace in Christ is it applied to these individual Gentile believers? Think about this. He said to these individual Gentile believers, You hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sin. These are Gentiles. And he says, God quickened you. He made you alive. He says to the, these Gentiles, But God who is rich in mercy 
for his great love wherewith he loved us. He included himself in this number, but he was talking specifically, individually, to these Gentiles who were before walking according to the prince of power of the world, of the, of the prince of power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in children of disobedience, among whom also we as Gentiles also had our conversation in times past in the lust of the flesh and of the mind, were by nature children of wrath, even as others. He made it clear to them. Salvation in its entirety for these Gentile believers, as well as for all God's people in every generation, it is not conditioned on the sinner in any way, to any degree, at any time, but it was conditioned exclusively on Christ alone, based on his accomplished work at Calvary as our substitute, surety, representative, and mediator, and based on his righteousness alone without any, listen to this, without any efforts, without any efforts by the sinner. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourself, it is a gift of God. And get this, not of works, ever. I know people have trouble with that. Not of works. Why not of works? Why can it not be conditioned on the sinner at all? The next phrase, lest any man should boast. Now here's the reality. We're his workmanship. We're his creation. Just like God the Father through Christ created these worlds, we're created in Christ Jesus. We are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. Now, there's no doubt that these who were previously spiritually dead in sin, who were under the control of Satan, me and you included, who were under the penalty and condemnation of God's law. Now, that's, now think about that. We were under the penalty and condemnation of God's law. His law requires that what? The soul that sinneth, one time or a million times, the soul that sinneth, what happens to it? It shall surely die. Right? The wages of sin was the law demand. Death. We were all, every, every man, woman, and child without exception, every one of us, every person born of a woman, we are under the guilt penalty and condemnation of God's holy law and justice, and we, we owe it a debt that we cannot pay. And it demands, does it not? We know it still demands because when we sin now, yet as believers, what do we think? Huh? When you sin, what do you think? We feel guilt and remorse, but what do we have? We have fear and we have dread. Why? Because of the law. But it's our schoolmaster to drive us where? To Christ. Now, we should seek to do better. I hope you don't ever think that your pastor is a, is a sinner saved by God's grace just like you. We, don't. we should have a desire and a design in our lives to improve. Always. 
I want to be a better man. I want to be a better husband. I want to be a better father. I want to be a better grandfather. I want to be a better son or daughter, you know, son of the living God, don't you? I want to, I want to honor him and magnify him in every area of my life. I want to. Now, that's the problem is wanting to and being able to do it. I want to glorify God in both my body and in my spirit, which are his, don't you? But the question is this, do we? Do we? Well, there's no doubt they were previously spiritually dead, under the control of Satan, under the penalty and condemnation of God's holy law. And in disobedience, they had nothing, and you and I included, they have nothing to recommend themselves to God. And that's the condition of every man and woman by nature. But thank God, who does God justify? Huh? Abraham believed on him who justifieth what? The ungodly. And God justifies the ungodly not on the basis of some newness or improvement in the sinner, but where? Based on his purpose and promise to glorify and honor himself through a righteousness we have no part in producing or maintaining. A righteousness established for us by his Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. God quickened them together with Christ, which guaranteed their final glory in him. Being justified freely by his grace and sure for heaven based on Christ's righteousness, they were ordained to walk in obedience to God their Father, motivated by love and grace towards them. We love him, Paul John wrote, because we first loved him, because he first loved us. Now, what the Apostle Paul considered concerning the grace of God in these Gentile believers individually, in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 10, he now considers concerning the church collectively. As he had wrote of the past and present of these individual believers and attributed their salvation to the grace of God alone, he now, listen, he now deals with the past and present of his church, both Jew and Gentile, and attributes the salvation of his church collectively, those from every kindred, nation, tongue, and people on this planet, to the grace of God alone. The Lord Jesus Christ alone, by his obedience unto death, makes the difference, the only difference in eternal salvation and final glory. So the whole issue that we're talking about in this section of Scripture has to do with the basis of ground upon which God saves sinners, Jew or Gentile, and how God can admit sinners, because that's, that's the thing. The Jew is a sinner. Every Gentile is a sinner. How can God admit sinners into glory? How can he take those who by birth, by nature, by practice, and by choice hate him or at enmity against him and bring them into a state of reconciliation? Now, you think about this. These Gentile believers, you and me too, are we on the same level as Jewish believers? Are we? You know, Paul was circumcised, wasn't he? Peter was circumcised. Every male child that was born in Israel was to be circumcised, and they were. Well, does that make them 
that make Paul any closer than these Gentiles? See, the main lesson of these verses is that salvation is by grace alone, based on the imputed righteousness of Christ alone. And it applies both to the Jew and to the Gentile. Those who are saved by God's grace, Jew or Gentile, every one of them are equally saved, equally justified, equally sanctified, and equally sure for heaven based on the merits of Christ's obedience unto death. Now look at verse 11 and 12. First of all, we need to see this, where the Gentiles stood by nature. I've always liked these verses. Let's look at verse 11 and 12. As he's already told them, for by grace are you saved through faith. Okay? They're not, they're not trying to get saved. They're saved. Then he tells them this, wherefore, remember that you being in time past Gentiles in the flesh who are called uncircumcision by that which is called the circumcision in the flesh made by hand. So there's two distinct groups. The uncircumcision or who? The Gentiles. The ones that are calling them uncircumcised are who? The ones that have the right of circumcision who are Jews by nature. That at that time, at that time, you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers from the covenants of the promise, having no hope, having no hope, and without God, in the world. I've told you this for years. Anytime you see the word wherefore or therefore, you need to ask, what's it there for? What's it mean? And this word that he uses here is translated wherefore. It's similar, quite similar to the word that's always translated therefore. But you know what it literally translated means wherefore? It means on account of. So like that word, therefore, what's it, what is it? It's a reference back to what he's already taught them, what he's already said to them. So in other words, Paul was saying to them, and he's saying to you and me, based on what I have already taught you concerning the freeness and fullness of, of grace to sinners, he says, do what? Remember. Remember. I always think about the words over in Old Testament, remember the hole of the pit from which you were digged. Remember where you came from. Remember what you were. The word remember means to be mindful of. To call to mind. In other words, call to mind what you were before. And see, what he's doing, Paul's doing here to them and to you and me is he's exhorting these folks, these Gentiles, and they understood it more than we do because they lived at the time there was a, a still a, 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 a distinction made between the two groups, even within the church, because it was going on in the church. These Jews were having trouble. Heck, when you think about it, the apostles were still having trouble with it. They were all growing to see some of these particulars. And what he's exhorting them to remember, he's telling them, remember your state of alienation and condemnation in light of the blessings of God's grace mentioned here. He tells them, think about that. He says, you were Gentiles in the flesh. Not just, he didn't just say you were Gentiles. He's talking about their state where they were at, where they were born at. 
They were in the flesh. And being a Gentile by birth, what were you? You had no privileges that belonged to national Israel. Now we have to, we have to understand what he's talking about here. In other words, they had no part in the blessings God had given to that nation of Israel while they were under the law. These were covenant blessings. They were promises to Abraham. Can you think about it? God made promises to Abraham not only concerning Israel, but you know who else he made promises concerning? That other boy too, Ishmael, had covenant promises. And these covenant blessings promised to, to Abraham included some things that, that was foreign to the Gentiles. One of them was what? God had given to Abram before the law. Now keep that in mind. Before the law was ever given to Moses, what was given to Abraham? The covenant of circumcision. Right? And circumcision was a sign given by God to distinguish Abraham and his lineage from who? Everybody else as a nation. But here's the thing. Abraham was justified before God based on the righteousness of Christ before he was circumcised. And I, I was thinking about that this week. You know, I, I, I know that people have a tendency to accuse us of being against God's law, and we're not. I mean, I, listen, I, I take the same position the Apostle Paul did in Romans chapter 7. The law is holy. The commandment is good. Nothing wrong with the law. The problem is with what? With us, our inability to keep it. But some people seem to insist on the fact that you've got to keep the law, and if you're not keeping the law, you're probably not saved. It's almost like you've got to have a law to be saved. Well, if that's the case, how could Abraham believe God and be justified? He had no Ten Commandments. He didn't have the ceremonial law. He didn't have the tabernacle and all the sacrifices and rituals. And yet Abraham, without that covenant law given to national Israel under this Mosaic covenant, Abraham believed God and it was accounted unto him for righteousness. National Israel under that Mosaic economy, that old covenant, they had many promises and they had many privileges which were all meant not to lead them to the promises of the privileges lead them to the tabernacle and all the sacrifices, but to lead them to where? See, the, the mistake that my religious generation makes, they think the law is an end in and of itself. Get this right. The only thing the law can do is point out what you are. That's all it can do. And it does it quite well, does it not? But here's the thing. It, that law was given to move and direct and literally to drive national Israel, those within national Israel that were God's elect, to drive them to where? To Christ. Now think about the ones that weren't driven to Christ. They were circumcised. Korah was, sacrificed, was circumcised, was he not? 
Did, it, did, did the law and everything involved, did it drive Korah to Christ? Others? You know, later on? But here's the thing. The Gentiles had no part in that. If you were a Gentile, you were completely away from any of these covenant promises and privileges that were meant to drive you to Christ. They were called the uncircumcision by the Jews. And when they called them the uncircumcision, it was not a, a term of endearment. <laughs> they weren't looking, looking favorably on them. It was an expression of contempt. You're distinct from us. You're the uncircumcision. We're the circumcision. And during that time of that mosaic economy, the Gentiles, think about it, as, an, as, an, as a people, almost without exception, the Gentiles were without promise of Christ. They had no promise. They were without Messiah. He tells us in these verses that we just read in verse 11 and 12 that they were foreigners to the state of Israel where all those blessings and privileges had been granted. The Gentiles, think about it, they had no covenant. They had no covenant. They had no promise from God. And he says this, he sums it up like this. They, by, as a people, the Gentiles, they were without hope before God. Paul sums it up like this. They were without God in this world. And during this time period, yeah, there were a few Gentiles saved. Very few. But you know what they had to do if they were part of this privilege? They had to become a Jew. Rahab the harlot. Others that you read about that were Gentiles that were saved. They had to become part of that Jewish ritual. But here's the thing. Becoming an Israelite didn't ensure salvation. Go read John chapter 8. Where those Jews stood before our Lord Jesus Christ. And our Lord said, I know you're Abraham's lineage. I know you're Abraham's children. But he told those who claimed that they were Abraham's children, what did he say to them? You are of your father the devil. And you do his works. So just being an Israelite didn't guarantee salvation. The majority of the Israelites, you know what they all did? They died in unbelief. Almost without exception. But it was in Israel. Look over at John. Hold your place here. Look at John chapter 4. Because this is the distinction, John chapter 4. It was in Israel that the, the promises and privileges that would lead sinners to Christ and salvation condition on Him, it's the only place it could be found. Our Lord Jesus Christ, think about this. In John chapter 4, it says, uh, where's it at? Uh, John chapter 4, verse 4. Our Lord had been in Galilee. He had been in Judea, in Israel. And he said he departed again, verse 3, into Galilee. And notice what it says in verse 4. He must needs go through Samaria. Now what's Samaria? A Gentile region. 
that the Jews avoided. And our Lord goes down there to that Gentile region and he, region, he goes there for one particular reason. He said that my sheep, I came to seek and to save that which is lost, right? And he goes down there and what's there? What's in Samaria? A woman. What kind of a woman? A woman of poor reputation, a sinner. Out by a well, by herself, in the midst of the day, in the heat of the day, going out there to get the water because she's trying to avoid all these men's, women's, uh, these men's wives that she has been prolific among. That's what the problem is. This woman is getting around. And our Lord goes to this particular well to meet this particular woman with this particular message. And she's just astonished that she knows he's a Jew, and she said, what is it, you being a Jew, speaking with me, a Gentile, a Samaritan? And our, you know the discourse. We've been through this before. We've preached on these passages before. And our Lord tells her about the water, you know, the water. If you, you knew who I was, you'd ask of me, and I'd give you living water, and it'd spring up out of you. Now, look down at verse 21. Verse 20. She says, our fathers worship in this mountain, and you say that in Jerusalem is the place where men ought to worship. Jesus said to her, woman, believe me, the hour cometh when ye shall neither in this mountain nor yet in Jerusalem worship the Father. You worship, you know not what. We know what we worship. Underline, highlight, put an asterisk beside this next statement. For salvation is of the Jews. Why? That's where the promise was made. Where did Christ come from? He came from the Jews. But the hour cometh, and I thank God for this, and now he is. And now he is. When true worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth, the Father seeketh such to worship him. You know what this is? This is a blunt indication by our Lord what's about to happen for this woman. Think about what he says. The hour cometh, and now he is. That the true worshipers to worship the Father in spirit. Oh, this is one of God's elect. This was a Gentile woman who was at previously, she listen, she was down there worshiping. He said, you worship, you know not what. She knew she should keep the law. Still, our Lord said, you don't, worry, you don't know what you're worshiping. Huh? Salvation's only found one place. Where? In the promised Messiah. In the one that stood before. Her. Look at verse, turn back over to our text. Look at verse 13. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who were, who, you who sometime were far off, are made nigh by the blood of Christ. I tell, you, I thank God for the buts in His Scripture, don't you? But now, formerly, what were we? We were aliens from the Commonwealth of Israel. Strangers from the covenant promises of God. 
having no hope and without God in this world, but now, but now, having been chosen in Christ, redeemed by Christ, called by His Holy Spirit to true faith in Christ and true repentance, these Gentiles, you and me included, who were formerly alienated from God's law, alienated from His land here on this earth and His people, what are we? We are reconciled to God. How? By going to church and giving our money and becoming good men and women. No, no. How are we reconciled? We are made nigh only one way, by the blood. <laughs> by the blood. They were without God, but now in Christ, they've been brought what? Nigh. <laughs> Brought near to God. What are we talking about? We're talking about reconciliation. Huh? I'm telling you, th these are truths that most people in religion don't have a concern for and have no knowledge of. I guarantee you, I, it, it's amazing. It's astonishing. I, I sat down this week and I, 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 it popped up in one of the feeds from social media I had, and it's one of the guys that's... Uh, I, I, you know, I don't name names, but he's one of the most prominent um, Baptist teachers in the South. Let's just, we'll, we'll narrow it down to that. If you want to know who it is, ask me later and I'll tell you. And they, he basically, he put on a conference in his church, and now he's got problems because there's actually some people with some moral backbone within the church that are now saying, we didn't sign up for this. Still don't believe the gospel, but their, their moral barometer went off because they had a, a, a weekend, three- or four-day conference on the inclusion of LGBT people and homosexuals in the church, and they had two homosexual men that were married to each other teaching the conference. And now it's blown up on him. And I listened to this guy's... They, they live stream all over the world, Kenny. Every service, just like us, you know, that goes out. They had a service this last weekend. They didn't live stream it. Now, it's out there now, but he wanted to talk. He sat on a stool up in front of them, dressed in his leisurely clothes, and he just had a talk, and he was trying to explain, because people, people are leaving the church in droves, because they're like, and he goes back, and he said, we've been doing this for 14 years. They just didn't know about it. That's not the issue. And you know how this guy tried to justify them taking this position? He, never, he, he, he was upset because people want to go by the Word of God. He, didn't, he, he says, I've drawn my conclusions on this. He said, there was no source material on how to deal with this. The source material for all of it's where? Well, when you've thrown away the source material, sure you're going to turn to where? A couple of gay guys to get you instruction, to lead you and guide you and direct you. I got no problem with all of that. Sin is sin, whether it's homosexuality or adultery or murder or theft or lying, whatever it is. We don't tolerate any of it. The Scriptures make no allowance for any of it. You sin whatever the sin. What does it require? Death. Either your death or the death of a substitute. 
Somehow, you got to be reconciled to God. And I'm telling you, religious people don't deal with that anymore. They just say, accept Christ and feel better about yourself. I can't feel better about myself unless I know that this God, who will by no means clear the guilty, is at peace with me. Now tell me how he can be at peace with me. Well, let's all get along. Now that ain't how God's at peace with me. And he won't be at peace with you if you get along with everybody. It's not about getting along. It's not about being tolerant of one another. It's not about inclusion. It's about reconciliation. This verse ought to stick out in your mind. I, even I, am he that blotteth out thy transgressions for my own sake. Therefore, since I've blotted them out for my sake, God, God, God had to satisfy himself. He wasn't satisfying the devil. The devil wasn't even involved in this transaction. You and I aren't involved in this transaction. This was God satisfying himself. And he said, since I have satisfied myself, I have reconciled myself, and I've reconciled myself, how? Through the blood of the Son. Therefore, I will remember your iniquities no more. You see that? People say, all i got to do is accept Jesus and go to church. That, that's not reconciliation. You're accepting Jesus ain't reconciliation. No, it's not. Do we accept him? Yes. Do we rest in him? Yes. Do we hope in him? Yes. Is that our reconciliation? Not our part in it. It's what he did toward the Father as our substitute, our mediator, our representative, our, our surety, and our Savior. And I'll tell you what, this, this reconciliation is not just to the Jew. You think about it, he reconciled the Jew, Jewish believer, he reconciled us to the he reconciled them to the Gentile believers. I mean, you think about it. I, I, I think we preached on that here not too long ago, maybe a couple years ago. Time kind of gets by me so quick. I think about Peter when he was, remember when he had that vision of that that blanket coming down, that, that sheet coming down, and all those unclean animals on it. And our Lord commanded him, take and eat. And he said, Lord, I never, I've never touched an unclean thing. It went back up, come back down. Take and eat. I ain't doing that. All these unclean animals, I never, you know, went up, come back down third time. And he said, Lord, I've, I've never done that. I'm never going to do that. And the Lord said, what I've declared clean. Huh? It's clean. And then God told him, there's a man. Cornelius, what did God do? God declared him clean. And Peter went down there. And I, Peter had problems with it. I mean, he, did. he did. But he obeyed God, even though he didn't understand completely. He did what God told him to do. God sent him there to do what? The only way that faith comes by here and here comes by the word of God, God sends his servant down there to preach the gospel to this man. And the Lord delivers Cornelius. Sets him free. Reconciles him to himself in his own mind. 
Peter had problems with it. And so later on, and, and I mean, they were still having problems with it. John, you know, when John wrote 1 John, he uses that word, world, repetitively to Jewish believers because the epistles of 1, 2, 3 John were to Jewish converts. And he says to them, now think about it, my little children, these things write unto you that you sin, sin not. If any man sin, he have an advocate for, for the, with the Father. Said that he has an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous, and he is the propitiation for our sins, Jews. And not for our sins only, not for the Jewish sins only, but also for... Now think about the word propitiation. He is perfect satisfaction, not for the Jews' sin. The Jews who? Every Jew had ever been born and lived? No. Those who were God's elect. Those who God would by His Holy Spirit through the preach of the gospel bring to believe and rest in Christ alone. Not for our sins only, but for who else? He's telling them what's out there. As Gentile elect sinners, God saving. And they read that, and what's John doing? He's enforcing to them the reality of what our Lord Jesus Christ had taught. Other sheep I have, which are not of this fold, them I also must. Listen, our Lord, when he says other sheep, you know what he's doing? He's saying there's Gentiles that are what? Are sheep. That are his elect in every generation. And think about it. God is reconciled unto his elect, and his elect are reconciled to him on the ground of Christ's righteousness, freely imputed, rest in by God-given faith. Look at these two verses and we'll quit. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, new creature. Verse 17, 2 Corinthians 5. Old things are passed away, behold, all things become new, and all things are of God, who hath reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ, and hath given to us the ministry of reconciliation. To wit, that God was in Christ, reconciling the world unto himself. How did he do it? Not imputing their trespasses unto them. And hath committed unto us the word of reconciliation. What are we telling, sinner? God has not imputed sin to his people. Won't charge it. Now then, verse 20, we are ambassadors of Christ. As though God did beseech you by us, we pray you in Christ's stead, be ye reconciled to God. In other words, believe what we've said. Reconcile yourself in your mind to believe this. What is the ground of reconciliation? Verse 21, for he made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. One more, Galatians chapter 6, verse 14. But God forbid that I should glory save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world is crucified unto me and I unto the world, for in Christ, listen to this, for in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision avails anything, nor uncircumcision. Either one of them makes a difference. Circumcised, uncircumcised. Doesn't save you. What makes a difference? New creature. Oh, there you go. You've got to be a new creature. You've got to be new and improved. Oh, 
any man be in Christ. New creature. Got nothing to do with you or me. And as many as walk according to this rule, what's, what's the rule we walk according to? God forbid that I should glory save in anything but what? The cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. Man, walk according to this rule. Peace be on them and mercy. And mercy upon who? The Israel of God. Which one is that? Who's a Jew? Huh? You a Jew? I, I, don't, look, I didn't got one single solitary shred of Jewish lineage in me. None. I don't think you could get any further from Jewish than the last name Warmack or Hinton from my mama's maiden name. I got none of it in me. But Paul tells me, a Jew by nature who could trace his lineage back under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit in Romans chapter 2, verse 20 and 21, I think, or 28 and 29, he said, who is a Jew? Who is it? He said, a Jew is not one inwardly. Listen to this. He is a Jew which is one. He is not a Jew which is one outwardly. Neither is circumcision which is outward in the flesh. But he is a Jew which is one inwardly. And circumcision, where is it at? heart. What's that? Regeneration, conversion. In the spirit and not in the letter whose praise is not of me. In other words, they don't look at me because I'm circumcised like they are. Praise is not of man, but who, who, who praises us? God does. Because why? Where does he see us? We're in his son. We'll stop right there. We'll come back pick up verse 13 next week. You're dismissed the worst power.